He doesn't ever call me Pastor Hadley at home. <laughs> Might have to lay down some new ground rules. No. It's pretty special to have them lead us tonight. I don't get to partake very often, so even to have my kids up here is a really neat blessing. Boy, that's not good that we start off crying. Oh, my goodness. I think this topic has brought up a lot of emotions within me this week that just, sorry, come out while I'm up here. So hopefully you'll be gracious and patient with me. This evening we're finishing up our summer series. Or actually, I thought we were. But actually, Bart, being the boss, had to do a part two next Sunday morning, so he'll finish up next week. But This is our final topic, uh, grief, the emotion of grief. Grief is an emotion that has touched each and every one of us in this room in some way. If you've lived life for any length of time, you have experienced grief over loss. Grief is a part of this life but it wasn't the way that God originally intended when he created. God created us to enjoy this life free from sin and perfect fellowship and worship of our creator and harmony and unity with one another. But sin brought about death. And because of sin and death, grief is now something that each one of us faces in life. And for many of us, grief is a part of our everyday life. Grief, even though it wasn't part of God's original creation without sin, for you and me here today, grief serves to be a reminder to us that our hearts long for something different. Our hearts long for something better. Grief serves to remind us that our hearts long to be in the presence of God, free from sin, Dwelling with God and God dwelling with us. And that's my desire for us here tonight. That as we leave here and enter back into a world that is filled with grief and sorrow, with pain and loss, that we would remember that something better awaits. For those of us who know Christ, we've cast the weight of our full trust upon him and his work in our salvation, we have a blessed hope that our grief here is not the end. There's coming a day that every tear will be wiped away. Everything that has caused us grief in this life will be made right. We will be with him where there is fullness of joy. It's true that we can experience grief in different ways in this life, we may experience grief over the loss of a job. Maybe some of us have experienced grief as the seasons of life change and a close friend moves away. We may grieve over a divorce and the loss of a marriage relationship. There are and should be times that we grieve over our sin we would probably all agree that one of the deepest ways in which we feel grief on this earth is when we lose someone that we love in this life to death. The death of a husband or wife, the death of a grandparent, 
the death of one of our own children, the sudden death of a close friend. These are all ways in which we can experience grief. And many, if not most of us, or all of us here tonight, have. I want to say at the beginning here, too, that grief in itself isn't necessarily a sinful emotion. This side of the fall and the curse, grief is necessary, and grief is good when we work through it in a right way. But grief can produce sins in our heart when we don't work through our grief or view the circumstances that brought about our grief in the right way. Grieving can bring on sinful emotions like anger, bitterness, anxiety, depression, loneliness. But God wants to use our grief for good. And it's my hope and prayer for us tonight that we will leave with a better understanding how we can have a good grief that points to the glory of God in our lives. So how does the world define grief? Definition from the American Psychological Association says, grief is the anguish experienced after significant loss, usually the death of a beloved person. They go on to say that grief often includes physiological distress, separation, anxiety, confusion, yearning, obsessive dwelling on the past, and apprehension about the future. Intense grief can become life-threatening through disruption of the immune system, self-neglect, and suicidal thoughts. Grief may also take the form of regret for something lost, remorse for something done, or sorrow for a mishap to oneself. So according to the world, grief is the anguish that we feel after losing someone or something most often felt through the death of someone we loved. And grief can manifest itself in a variety of different ways, as you can see. How does the Bible define grief? Grief is found in a variety of circumstances throughout Scripture. A few of the examples that I saw in glancing through the Old Testament, Isaac and Rebekah experienced grief when their son Esau marries a Hittite woman in Genesis 26. God grieves over the misery of the people of Israel that was brought about by their disobedience in Judges 10. Hannah experiences grief over not being able to have a son in 1 Samuel chapter 1. Job expresses grief through loss all throughout the book of Job. The psalmists express their grief over circumstances and loss in several psalms. The book of Lamentations is devoted to grief. The prophet Jeremiah speaking of judgment because the nation of Israel had grieved a holy God. In the New Testament, we see Jesus experience grief over the hardness of man's heart in Mark 3. He also grieved over the death of Lazarus in John chapter 11. In Acts 4, we see the Sadducees grieving over the gospel being proclaimed by the apostles. Paul instructs believers in Romans 14 not to grieve one another through our Christian liberties. In 2 Corinthians 2, Paul expresses that he doesn't want to cause grief in any way. Ephesians 4 says that we are not to grieve the Holy Spirit. And 1 Peter 2.19 tells us that we will experience grief through suffering as followers of Jesus Christ. 
These are just a few examples from the Old and New Testaments. They show us that we can and will experience emotional grief in many different ways throughout life, whether it be through difficult relationships, death, desire, sin, decisions made by others, unbelief, loss. All of these circumstances can cause our hearts to feel sorrow, grief, and distress in some way. What is the problem according to the world? As I read through different articles on the APA website, they all talked about the codes in the brain needing to be rewired. They talked of physiological changes that have happened, stress hormones that have increased, neural and transcription changes that happen in the brain, the brain needing to update to change, and how that's a mechanical process that just takes time. No talk of the heart when you look at the problem according to the world. What's the problem according to the Bible? As we've seen over and over again, sin. Sin is the problem and the curse that it brought to all of creation. Before sin, there was no grief. With sin comes grief. God speaks to the woman and the man after their sin in the Garden of Eden, and he says this to them in Genesis 3.16 and following. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. This is the grief that was brought about by sin. And we know that sin comes from the heart of man, And these emotions that we feel, whether sinful or brought about by sin, come from within the inner heart of man. What is the world's remedy? Here are a few different world remedies that I got from articles on the American Psychological Association website. This one's by Alexander Jordan and Brett Litz. They offer this helpful insight. Although the normal grieving process is not fully understood, one prominent theory holds that healthy grieving typically involves completion of loss-focused tasks and restoration-focused tasks. The griever confronts loss stressors when doing things that involve engagement with stimuli that serve as reminders of the reality of loss, such as looking through old photos of or sharing stories about the deceased. This emotionally taxing work is balanced by periods of withdrawal from loss stressors. The griever's attention oscillates between evocative echoes of the past and present-focused activities. At the same time that the griever learns to cope with doses of loss stressors, he or she also focuses on the restoration of everyday life functions that depend critically, depended critically on the lost loved one. For example, the bereaved may need to learn how to manage his or her own finances or cooking 
and he or she may need to seek out new sources of social and emotional support and companionship. Through the completion of loss and restoration-focused tasks, the griever is able to come to an acceptance of irrevocably changed circumstances and re-engage in life. So they would say one can work through the grieving process by confronting your loss stressors and completing these tasks that your loved one once did, and that as you do that, it will provide restoration and help you to heal. Another article by Catherine Nordahl, she gives these helpful tips. Talk about the death of your loved one with friends or colleagues in order to help you understand what happened and remember your friend or family member. Avoidance can lead to isolation and will disrupt the healing process with your support systems. Number two, accept your feelings. You may experience a wide range of emotions from sadness, anger, or even exhaustion. All of these feelings are normal, and it's important to recognize when you're feeling this way. If you feel stuck or overwhelmed by these emotions, it may be helpful to talk with a licensed psychologist or other mental health professional who can help you cope with your feelings and find ways to get back on track. Number three, she says, take care of yourself and your family. Eating healthy foods, exercising, and getting plenty of sleep can help your physical and emotional health. The grieving process can take a toll on one's body. Make sure you check in with your loved ones that they are t- and that they are taking the necessary health- healthy steps to maintain their health. Number four, reach out and help others dealing with the loss. Spending time with loved ones of the deceased can help everyone cope, whether it's sharing stories or listening to your loved one's favorite music. These small efforts can make a big difference to some. Helping others has the added benefit of making you feel better as well. And number five, she says, remember and celebrate the lives of your loved ones. Anniversaries of a lost loved one can be a difficult time for friends and family, but it can also be a time for remembrance and honoring them. So what's the problem with these worldly remedies? Sins and emotions of the heart must be addressed at the heart level. And these remedies all fall short of providing the help and the healing that we need in our hearts when we experience grief in this life. So what is the Bible's remedy? As we've seen over and over again these past several Sunday evenings, the gospel is the only answer. Jesus Christ is the only hope that we have for lasting change. His truth is what we have to turn to in our times of grief to find help. So tonight I want to offer you eight ways that you can work through your grief in a way that is good for your heart and that brings glory to God. And these are the things that I want you to write down. Eight things. Number one, prepare for suffering. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. Why is it that we are most often surprised when we face trials in this life? Why are we surprised by them? Peter says in 1 Peter 4, 12 and 13, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange was happening to you. 
but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. So friends, I ask again, why are we surprised when we experience trials, suffering, sorrow, loss, and grief? Aren't these the very things that God's word says we should expect? If the Bible tells us not to be surprised by them, then we must prepare ourselves for them. Trials don't come from the hand of a God who is distant and disconnected from our lives. These fiery trials that Peter is talking about in these verses are from the hand of a loving father, a father who desires to see us grow in our faith and become mature in Christ. God refines us through trial to make us holy, blameless, pure. He uses fiery trials to make us like his son. I can remember when God began to do this work in my heart about 10 years ago to help me understand and believe this. Pastor Blake was teaching through Lamentations in our ABF class on Sunday mornings. Now it's called Grace Life. The one thing I remember him pounding home every week was the time to prepare for trials is before they come. And I know I've shared this with you before, but God really used that study in Lamentations to prepare Julie and I for the trial that God was getting ready to walk us through shortly after that when we lost our son Levi in 2013. The trials that come to us and the grief that is a result of them should be expected. The reality for most, if not all of us in this room, is that we are either coming out of a trial, walking through a trial, or we should be getting ready for a trial. Don't be surprised by the fiery trial as if something strange were happening to you. Prepare for suffering. Number two, preach the gospel to yourself daily. Preach the gospel to yourself daily. Turn to Lamentations 3. Lamentations chapter 3. Where do we find hope in times of grief? We have to look back at the cross. Oftentimes, as we walk through the deep and the dark valleys of this life, there doesn't seem to be any hope. We must rehearse God's past faithfulness to us to remind us of what is true. And we see his kindness most clearly in the cross of our Lord, where he put his son to death so that we might have life in him. Lamentations 3, 21 through 24 has been a help to me in more than one season of life. The writer of Lamentations, the prophet Jeremiah, is mourning the loss of the nation of Israel soon after Jerusalem's fall. Yet even in his grieving, he has this reminder in Lamentations 3, 21 and following. He says, but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. 
Therefore, I will hope in him. The prophet Jeremiah recalls the past faithfulness of his God to give him hope in his time of deep mourning and grief. He's reminded of the steadfast love of God that never ceases. His love is a loyal and a faithful love. God's love for his children doesn't come in the good seasons of life and leave in the difficult seasons of life. God's love is faithful. Jeremiah is reminded of the mercies of God that have no end. Morning by morning, new mercies come to his children. He is a compassionate God, and he shows us new mercy with each passing day. Jeremiah then recalls the greatness of God's faithfulness to him. Faithfulness carries the idea of trustworthiness, reliability, truth. He knew the faithfulness of his God would follow through with who he was and what he had promised. His God would be faithful to him individually and to the people of Israel as a nation. For the prophet, there was no greater hope than knowing his God was totally reliable. Then in verse 24, he says, the Lord is my portion. Portion here describes something that belongs to someone. He's saying, Yahweh is all I have. Therefore, I will hope in him. His God was enough for him. And in him alone, he could place his hope. Have you ever been in that season of grief where you said, the Lord is all I have. Therefore, I will hope in him. Friends, we too in our times of trouble, sorrow, loss, suffering, grief, those times of trial that God sovereignly and lovingly puts into our lives, we too must rehearse God's past faithfulness to help us have hope as we grieve. And as we rehearse who he is and we are reminded of what he has done in our salvation, he must be our portion Even if he is all that we have, he is all that we need. In him alone we can have hope. So preach the gospel to yourself daily. Number three, pour out your heart to God in prayer. Pour out your heart to God in prayer. Turn to Psalm 77. I think we would probably all say that there are times in our grief that we feel bad being honest with the Lord, right? As if we might catch him by surprise by how we're feeling, the deep hurt and pain that we're going through, the struggle in our heart to be okay with our present circumstances. Do you think that God doesn't already know? In Psalm 77, Asaph pours out his heart to God in prayer in the day of his trouble Psalm 77, 1 and 2 says, I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. First notice what the psalmist does in his trouble. Where does he turn? To whom does he cry out? He seeks the Lord. He's crying out to God loudly in his trouble, in his pain and affliction. 
and he knows in verse 1 that God will hear his prayer. The psalmist here denotes earnest prayer that comes from a troubled heart. He calls out to God in his pain. He seeks the Lord in his day of trouble. But he says at the end of verse 2 that his soul refuses to be comforted. Have you experienced those times in your grief where you just need to vent? You just want to express to God your feelings, trying to convince yourself as you do that he surely can't understand your pain. And as you cry aloud to him in prayer, you refuse to have your soul be comforted. The Psalms help us in our time of grieving. They remind us that we are human and that we are needy. Grief is a part of this life. It is a natural and necessary part of loss. God isn't surprised by our grief. He welcomes us to come to him in our grief. He wants to hear from his children in our time of sorrow. He wants us to seek him in our day of trouble and cry aloud to him in our pain. He wants us to lay our heart before him. We aren't hiding anything from him. So pour out your heart to God in prayer. And along with that, number four, present your questions to God. I can remember struggling with this when our family was walking through the trial of losing Levi. There were questions that kept coming to my mind in time of grief that I wanted to ask the Lord as I cried out to him, but I felt guilty. I remember this feeling of I can't question God. This is what he's given me, and I just need to be okay with it. But as the Lord brought us through that season of trial and sorrow and grief, I realized that God welcomes our questions and our suffering. There is a proper way to ask questions of God. We must come in humility. We must be honest. We must come with the word to help direct our thoughts and our questions. We must not come wanting to complain. And here again in the Psalms, we find help in our grieving and continuing in Psalm 77. Asaph goes on to say in verse 3, When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Notice that Asaph asks six pointed questions in verses seven through nine. Will the Lord spurn forever? Will he never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? 
Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Did the psalmist really believe that God's love had come to an end? Did he really believe that God wouldn't keep his promises? Did he believe that God wouldn't be faithful? I don't think so. But these questions that the psalmist asks is, God, show us that in seasons of deep grief and sorrow, what we know to be true doesn't always feel true. Have you gone through times of trial in your life that what you know to be true about God, who he is, and what he has said in his word don't feel true to you? Our pain and suffering often create difficult emotions within us, and honest, humble, pain-filled questions are part of what it means to grieve. But I want us to see where the psalmist goes after he asks his questions. He doesn't get an audible response from God to answer those questions. He rehearses what he already knows to be true. He allows what is true to answer his questions and guide his emotions and feelings. Verse 10, Psalm 77, he says, Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the ears of the right hand of the Most High, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. You, with your arm, redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph, When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled, the clouds poured out water, the skies gave forth thunder, your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind, your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Believer, pour out your heart to God in prayer and present your questions to him as you do, but allow the truth of God's word to provide you with the answers that you need. God has said he will be faithful to his own, and he has proven himself to be just that over and over and over again. Even in our deepest grief, we must allow the truth of God's word to answer our most honest and sometimes troubling questions in order to align the difficult emotions of our heart with the truth that we know. Number five, pause and listen. Turn to Psalm 62. Psalm 62. There's a place for crying out to God in our grief and despair. There's also a time when we need to be still. We need to be quiet and allow him to speak to our hearts through his word. So friend, pray. And while you pray, it's okay to ask God the right questions. But then pause. Be still. Read his words to you and listen to him. David says in Psalm 62, beginning in verse 1, For God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. 
He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. How long will all of you attack a man to batter him like a leaning wall, a tottering fence? They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory, my mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Just like Asaph did in Psalm 77, David shows us here that God alone is our help in time of need. He is the one in whom we place our trust. But in these verses, David doesn't cry aloud to God in his trouble and despair like Asaph did. His soul waits for the Lord in silence. He knows that from God comes his salvation. He knows that God alone is his rock and his fortress. And in his distress and trouble and grief, his soul waits for the Lord in silence. He reminds himself of what he knows to be true as he waits in quiet, waiting for the Lord to do what only he can do, deliver. I found in times of grief that there are those times when I cry out to the Lord, sometimes weeping with bitter tears, asking him the questions that are on my heart that I think need answered. But then there's also those times in grief that I've found no words to say, no questions to ask. All my soul needs is to hear from the Lord and his word, to be reminded of what I know to be true. I just need to pause, I need to listen, and allow him to speak to me. In our grief, we need comfort for our heavy and our broken hearts. And that comfort can only come from the God of all comfort. So in your grief, take time to be still, to be quiet, and wait silently for the Lord to pour the truths of his word over your weary soul and allow those truths to guide your emotions into hope. Number six, practice thankfulness. Practice thankfulness. Turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. This one can be difficult for our fallen hearts. It goes against our sinful nature, doesn't it? We're prone to complain. We're prone to be ungrateful. We're prone to dwell on the problems. Paul here in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18 helps us see what the will of God is for us. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18, Paul says, Rejoice when you feel like it. Pray every now and then. Give thanks in the good circumstances. No, that's not what he says. He says, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Be joyful all the time. Pray and don't stop praying. Be thankful in every good season and every difficult season of life. Why? Because this is God's will for you as his child. 
man, this can be hard. We aren't naturally joyful. We don't naturally pray. We aren't naturally thankful. But we should be, and we can be. I can remember several years ago after mom passed away from cancer, a dear saint in our church asked me how I was doing. In our conversation together, I just shared with her how all the firsts without my mom were so hard that I missed her. This dear lady was kind to remind me that I had so much to be thankful for, that I should look back on all of those past memories with mom and be thankful for who she was, for the things that she had taught me, the memories that we shared together, and just be thankful for the time that we had together in life, even if it seemed too short, and to be thankful for the future hope of being together one day in heaven with our Savior. And that was a good reminder for me. Maybe your grief this evening hasn't come from losing a loved one in this life. Maybe your grief comes from the loss of a good friend who's moved away. Maybe your grief comes from the scars left after some type of abuse from a person that you loved and you trusted. Maybe your grief comes from the loss of a job and you don't know how you're gonna provide for your family in this season. Maybe your grief comes from a marriage relationship that is really difficult. Maybe your grief comes from a divorce that you didn't desire. Friend, you can be thankful even in your grief this evening because of Paul's reminder to you in Romans 8.35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Friends, this is reason enough to be thankful. Yes, we can look back on joyful memories with those that we loved who are no longer with us and be thankful, but ultimately, our eternal joy, our deepest gratitude and thankfulness comes from knowing that it doesn't matter what happens to us in this life, whether it's trial or suffering or persecution or death, a lost job, nakedness, divorce, danger, abuse, whatever it may be, Nothing in all of creation can separate us from God's love. What else is there that could cause us to be more thankful in our grief? Practice thankfulness. Number seven, prioritize the church. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. When we walk through seasons of sorrow and grief, it's natural and necessary for us to need time to be alone. Maybe you've experienced this even recently. Something's weighing heavy on your heart and you come to church and someone asks you how you're doing and you say good, even though you know you're not doing good. 
But there are times when you just don't want to talk about it. You don't want to have to answer the same questions over and over again. And that's okay for a time. But we need to realize one of the purposes for our trials and grief in this this life is so that we can minister to those around us. Look at what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. Do you view your grief and the comfort that you receive from God in your grief as an opportunity for you to turn and be a comfort and a blessing to others who are hurting? Paul says that one of the main purposes for us receiving the comfort of God in our affliction is so that we may be able to comfort others in their affliction. We must prioritize the church. If you've walked through the death of a spouse and received the comfort of God in your time of sorrow, then when you hear of someone in our church family that loses their spouse, you need to reach out to them and extend comfort to them from the comfort that you have received from the Lord. If you have experienced the sorrow of one of your children walking away from the church and no longer professing faith in Christ and living a life of sin, and you hear of another parent in our church family experiencing a similar situation and struggling with knowing how to respond, you need to reach out to them and extend to them the same comfort that God has extended to you. Friend, in every trial that you walk through, every time you receive God's comfort in your grief, that's an opportunity for you to extend comfort to those around you who are experiencing the sorrows and the grief of this life. The comfort that we receive in our grief should cause us to prioritize the church. And lastly, number eight, plan for home. Plan for home. And turn to Romans 8. A proper perspective of this life is necessary in order to grieve well. We can grieve to the glory of God in this life, but we must grieve with hope. This is not our home. We are strangers and aliens passing through. Something better awaits us. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, 
in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that we might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called, And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Friend, do you believe that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that will one day be revealed in us? Our grief serves as an inward groaning as we eagerly and expectantly wait for our adoption as sons the redemption of our bodies. Grief is a result of the curse of sin in this life. Grief will not be a part of the new creation. We grieve here now, but may we grieve with hope. God is working in all things for our good and his glory. We must believe that. If you are his child today, it's because he foreknew you. And those whom he foreknew, he predestined. And those whom he predestined, he called. And those whom he called, he justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Believer, we have this hope. It may be that you're here this evening and you are grieving, but you are grieving without hope because you don't have Christ. Friend, if that's the case, surrender your life to him. Only in Christ will you find hope through the sorrows and grief that this life promises to bring you. The creator became man and experienced the deepest sorrows that this creation that he made had to offer him. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Only in him and because of him and what he has done to save us can we have hope in this life and be able to grieve in a way that brings him glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for giving us your word We thank you for the truth that you have, in your kindness, revealed to us. We thank you for the help that you extend to us as your children today.
as your spirit speaks to us from your word, as your spirit comforts us in our times of suffering and sorrow and grief and loss. Father, I pray that our grief would serve to remind us that we have a sovereign God. We have a God who is working in the yuck of this life to accomplish your divine purposes. You're working even in the sin and the wickedness all around us to accomplish the will that you have determined to take place. Father, I pray that as we experience grief in this life, that we would be reminded that this is not our home, that our hearts long to be with you, and that there's coming a day when Jesus Christ will come back to take his children home to be with him. I pray that we would long for that day with eager expectation. Father, I pray that while we remain that we would be able to have a right perspective of this life and the circumstances that we walk through, that we would see them as from the hand of a good God, a God who loves us, a God who is working in all things for our good. You know that's hard for us to believe that as we're walking through those deep and dark trials of life. Father, we thank you that we can look back on the cross. That we can look back with hope, knowing that you're faithful. That what you have set out to do, you will accomplish. Help us to trust you. We thank you for this time together tonight. Pray that it would serve us well, that we would go from here able to live lives to the praise of your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You're dismissed.